0: Bala su wow.
1: ayoh.
2: to Wanda's Picks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And that was Zion Trinity singing opening prayer to the African African deity, Eshu a deity that lets us know that we always have choices. We are never victims, so we should definitely exercise our options and, um, yeah, don't feel that, you know, we are without choices. We are so excited today to... Um, to share an interview that we had with um, comrade Malik Washington, who is the new um, assistant uh, editor at the San Francisco Bayview newspaper. And today is the first day of the weekend celebration of Bayview Hunters Point. Um, I'm going to read to you sort of what's going to be going on uh, today, November 20th and tomorrow saturday november 21st um this this uh, particular um celebration in honor of the legacy and continuing the legacy of the historic national black newspaper is going to be in zoom and also in the beautiful neighborhood gathering place mandel plaza and um, it's going to be featuring a lineup of virtual and in-person musicians speakers and food all local all multicultural And, um, of course, filled with lots of love. And I want to share with you the information. I'm just trying to scroll down here in my... Let's see, where is it? Um, Just a second. Okay. (laughs) All righty. So... um, Friday, which is today, looking for the times. I believe it starts um, at six o'clock, and um, yeah, and uh, six six o'clock. Oh yeah, six to eight o'clock. Um, it's going to be in person at Mandela uh, Mandela Plaza, and in Zoom. And you can go to sfbayview.com dot com to get the link. And uh, there's going to be, I'm going to be pouring libations. Willie and Mary Radcliffe, Bayview publisher and editor, are going to be speaking about the history of the Bayview National Black Newspaper and the Bayview Hunters Point neighborhood um, on Zoom and projected in person. Uh, New Bay Brown, Bayview managing editor, is going to be reading poetry and letters from prisoners and discussing the importance of supporting liberation journalism. Uh, Malik Washington, again, Bayview assistant editor and on-the-street reporter, out to make your day brighter and everyone's voices louder, uh, also in person and on Zoom. Uh, A ride along with Dennis, the newspaper distributor, is going to be this evening. Uh, uh, D10 supervisor, District 10 supervisor, uh, Shaman Walton, is going to be sharing some words. Rico, also known as One Time Hip-Hop Artist from Bayview, is going to be performing in person and in Zoom. Stephanie Woodford and Trio uh, Fillmore Jazz Musicians is going to be performing. Uh, Spooky Boogie, uh, San Francisco, uh, City College of San Francisco Improvisational mus- Musical Collaborative is going to be performing. Uh, that Boy, uh, Boppin', also known as Brandon Powell, <laughs> Baby resident and hip hop dancer, is going to be performing. Uh, Kelly Lord, uh, City College San Francisco's African American Studies Department ambassador and Bayview resident, is going to be. Uh, I'm not sure speaking maybe. <laughs> and then there's going to be a pop up art auction in person and on Zoom. And there's going to be home cooked barbecue, and from Mother Brown's dining room. And, and then on Saturday, the lineup is going to be simply fantastic, and that starts at 1 o'clock, and it goes until 3, and it's going to be a little more virtual than in person, and but you can, uh, like I said, um, it's going to be food and music from 2 to 3 at Mandel Plaza, and then Saturday also includes a video interviews with local restaurants and businesses on Zoom, and later speakers and food at Mandel Plaza. And so it's going to be really awesome. Juan Gonzalez and Alexa uh, Terrazas of El uh, uh, Tecalote, they're going to be um, speaking. They view Mural Walk with Nube Brown. Um, Ali and Teresa of Paloo Market are going to be present in Zoom. The family behind Naughty Boy Retail on 3rd in Paloo. It's going to be in Zoom. Uh, Joanna Haygood of Bayview Zaco Dance Theater is going to be performing in Zoom. Uh, April Spears of Cafe Envy and Auntie Aprils is going to be there. Uh, Bernadette of Jazz Room co interview with uh, Zand from Fox and Lion Bakery. Um, and let's see, is it Arian? Um, Harrison and Gwendolyn Westbrook of Mother Brown's <laughs> is going to be uh, in person and on Zoom. And Family Band, the Curtis Family C-Notes, in person and on Zoom. And Chicken, a jambalaya provided by Iskander uh, uh Radio Africa Cafe and Kitchen is in person and on Zoom. And uh, again, and we're, this is a fundraiser, so all donations are welcome. You know how um, the Bayview is a paper that, is for the people and by the people and definitely um, we can use all of your support. So I am going to uh, share that interview. I'm going to play another song and then I'm going to share uh, the interview uh, with um, Comrade Malik. Let's see. This is a song for the ancestors that... Uh, Brother Val shared with me yesterday. So, um, and then I have a couple of other announcements I think I want to share with you. Let's see. So this one's called um, La No De Wa. Song La Noe de Wa. Bayview assistant editor Malik Washington is a co-founder of the End Prison Slavery in Texas movement, an activist in the fight, Toxic Prisons, and Liberate the Cage Voices campaigns, a comrade of Oakland Abolition and Solidarity, and a fellow worker in the fight to abolish prisons. You can contact him at Malik at sfbayview.com. And if you see news happening, call him at 669-216-6104. Again, that's 669-216-6104. And again, Malik at com. So we are really excited to share this wonderful conversation that we had with Conrad Malik. I think it was last Sunday, and we were just having a good time. And uh, before we actually started taping, <laughs> it was the first time we had had a chance to have like a really extended conversation. So it was just it's just one of many conversations. And if you um, are, um, I'm trying to think, I think uh, he, he has a conversation um, regularly on, I think, at the uh, uh, Prison Focus uh, in Facebook every Friday at 10 o'clock. So you can catch him there as well, um, with New Bay. They they have a sort of a Friday, you know, sort of catching up and just talking about sort of events and things that are happening that people should be aware of. So enjoy this interview and uh, yeah. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, as far
3: as that, so when we so when
2: we gonna do the we're gonna okay. we gonna We get all, we get all the good stuff out <laughs> No, we haven't started yet. Well, I don't know, cause I don't know how much of this good stuff you can, you want me to share. Um, cause you told oh, me, you yeah, know, yeah, like, good. yeah, cause oh, you told oh, yeah, me, you yeah, told yeah. me, you told me, like, you know, this is just between us. So it's like, okay, so now we can right, start, right. And, and you can tell me what you want to share. But I, I didn't, you know, I just wanted to basically sort of be able to get from you, um, just sort of some background on on who you are. And, and how you came to um, to the position that you're in and what your vision is so those three things are what I'm interested in you know for this this interview for the paper for the post because I'm trying to like I said I want them to put something in the post about the fundraiser this weekend um, and and sort of this, this big big news for the San Francisco Bayview because everyone knows the paper um, you know it's one of the only ones standing presently uh, of, of the of the black um, newspapers in the San Francisco Bay Area but then we could think nationally how many of our papers are still publishing and and we actually have a, a you know a, a run you know like the paper paper comes out it's not a it's not a a virtual paper it's a paper that is actually published and delivered you know to community members in the Bayview Hunters Point and that particular um, district you said it was ten um you know has you know has historically you know one of the larger um uh, populations of african americans particularly homeowners um i don't know what it looks like now but um but it's still an important important place and and the bayview is an important vehicle um that gives you know gives the truth and gets people's, you know stories out so yeah so those are my three questions so we can start so we start with the first one yeah. <laughs> the,
3: the, and the first one, and the first one being.
2: The first one is, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself and, and how um, how you came, you know, to to the position of um, uh, a Bayview, San Francisco Bayview assistant editor. Just tell us, you know, tell us, tell us your story, your origin story, a brief one. <laughs>
3: uh, uh, okay. Well, um, my name is Keith Malik Washington. I'm um, 52 okay. years old. Pennsylvania to a steel worker and to a social worker. Um, my mom and dad were both Muslims. Uh, was raised in a very strict Muslim household, and um, my proper name is Abdul Malik. So, but I go by Malik because uh, I like it and everybody likes it. So I, I just go by Malik. I was I spent approximately 20 years. In prison and most of my time in prison uh, the only crime that I was uh, I committed was bank robberies I was suffered from a horrible drug addiction and it was uh, during the crack epidemic and I just really uh, was on a roller coaster alright sometimes I would do good for six months and I would fall off I Would do good for two months and I would fall off and then finally um, I just talked myself into doing something super stupid and I robbed the bank with a note. And I began to go to prison. And I ended up in Texas and I was sentenced to 20 years hard labor in the state of Texas. Not as a federal inmate, but as a state inmate. And it was the worst experience of my life. I was really not subjected to the type of racism, that I was subjected to in Texas. I was When I heard the term wickedness in high places, I, I saw that all the way up to the governor's office. And it was pronounced when I started writing for the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. I began writing for the newspaper almost eight years. Almost eight years ago. I'd say about seven and a half. It's about between seven and a half and eight years ago I started writing for the paper. And I was introduced to the paper by a, another politicized prisoner who is pretty well known as a revolutionary artist and theoretician of Marxist and Leninist and Maoist doctrines. His name is Kevin Rasheed Johnson, and he actually introduced me to the Bayview and Mary Ratcliffe and Dr. Willie Ratcliffe, and I began to write essays and articles about my experiences in Texas. And it was strictly at first, all I wrote about was my prison experience in Texas, and I was able to articulate the nature of the wrongs in a very clear and concise manner, so much so that I started to get the attention of the oppressors, not just prison officials, but uh, state officials, like legislators and mayors and governors started paying close attention to what I was writing because I was shedding light On things that they did not want light shed on, like prison slave labor, um, medical neglect, the abuse of the elderly, toxic water, lead, arsenic contamination, and deadly extreme heat, which was continues to kill prisoners in Texas because only seventy five percent, well seventy five percent of the prisons in Texas do not have air conditioning. And as you may, as a lot of our listeners and people that are might read about Texas, they know that it, it's very hot, extremely hot, and in the age of, uh, of this climate crisis that we're, that we're involved in, we see a lot of people dying and succumbing of the deadly extreme heat in these brick ovens that Texas has. Uh, basically, they prompt them up as prisons. So I wrote many articles about my prison experience, but as I developed myself as a writer, and as a journalist, I started branching off into issues that were specific to free world, the free world, free society. Um, and I actually became very adept at focusing on environmental injustice and environmental racism issues. I also started touching upon um, patriarchy, misogynistic attitudes and behaviors, and also um contradictions and hypocrisy in our government. Like, for instance, I wrote an article titled um, No Love for Yemen, and I was actually able to research, and I actually found that Saudi Arabia had donated millions and millions of dollars to Hillary Clinton, and in her position of Secretary of State, she actually allocated many F-15 fighter jets to Saudi Arabia, which they used to decimate the country of Yemen and to thrust the whole country into one of the worst famines that we've ever seen in modern-day history. So um, that's... just a little brief. I went to college at Morgan State University in Baltimore. I did not graduate. I went there for two years. Um, I worked for the Cystic Barbosis Foundation. I was I'm a U.S. Army veteran. I was a combat medic and a pharmaceutical specialist in the U.S. Army. I'm an Army Discharge veteran. So um, I was not my, I was not um, just a criminal. You know, uh, I actually transformed myself from a criminal and a drug addict into the one of the most well known. Prisoner of rights advocates and activists in the United States. Hmm.
2: Yeah, I wanted to ask you where where could people um, read some of these wonderful um, uh, articles that you um, listed from these variety of, of themes and um, and issues that um, you know that, that you write about. Where where can we go to to read, read these articles? Mm, mm-hmm. mhm. Right, right. Yeah. Well, this might be um a question that we could talk more about, uh, you can go into more detail. But I just wanted you to talk a little bit about about addiction and addiction isn't criminal. It's criminalized, but it's actually illness as far as I as I as far as I can that's that's from my perspective and also medically it's supported that people don't are not you know, it's it's, it's not criminal that a person, you know, becomes addicted to a substance, whether that's coffee <laughs> or crack <laughs> or heroin. Um, and I just wanted to ask you, how, how did you eventually um, become sober? And, and was that, was, was your eventual release, because that's a long time <laughs> to be incarcerated um, for an illness, um, was, was that connected at all to your release? Because you you've just been released recently. Talk talk a little bit more about about your purpose and about um, you know coming to San Francisco um, to Bayview Hunters Point and you know and you know sort of helping our, our elder you know um, team you know uh, Dr Willie Radcliffe and uh, and his his partner you know um, uh, Dr Mary uh, Radcliffe you know, continue, continue the mission of this, this paper. It's more than a paper. It's actually an institution. if you could talk a little bit about about how that's been and, and your relationship and, and what, what you see for the paper and some things you might be working on now that you can disclose, specifically the fundraiser this weekend.
3: Yes. Well, first I want to say that I had decided well over a year ago to come to San Francisco in order to live and to also train to be the next editor for the paper and I have to say um, this was before I had learned that Mary Ratcliffe had um, been diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, Dr. Willie Ratcliffe had uh, she had just turned 88 on or on around September 21st he actually has two birthdays but, and we celebrate both days on the 18th and the 21st it's um, it's a long story. It has to do with his birth certificate from Alaska. But I can tell you that, um, that he is um, still alive and kicking, and him and I actually confer on specific issues having to do with uh, labor relations and uh, con- black contractors. But as far as um, the paper is concerned, I had made a decision that— Mary Ratcliffe and Dr. Willie Ratcliffe needed to pass the baton to the next generation that would continue the legacy and the work of this phenomenal historic national black newspaper. So, But then it even became even more urgent when I got here and discovered that Mary had been diagnosed with breast cancer. And in the age of COVID-19, we have seen many black-owned businesses, especially black newspapers, go to the wayside for lack of funding. And because it's just as pandemic in itself has just really damaged the economies of black and brown and oppressed people as a whole. We know that the disease has impacted our communities at a much higher rate than um, white communities. And that has something to be said. It's hit us our health and it also has hit us socio- socioeconomically worse. So um, as far as the purpose The purpose now is being realized that to continue the legacy of this newspaper. I mean, there have been other prospective editors before me, and they have not been able to uh, continue in the work. It's a lot of work, I can tell you. And we do have a phenomenal fundraiser scheduled for November 20th, Friday um, this week. Um, It begins, and it's going to start at 6 p.m., and go to 8 p.m. It's going to be virtual and physical. We are going to have live entertainment. We have One Time, which is a Bayview artist, R&B, soul group named One Time. Rico Tiger and his two fellow bandmates are going to be performing. We have Stephanie Woodford, who is a Bayview resident, who is a, an amazing artist. Um, violinist and she, um, the ukulele, she's just very gifted. We have spoken word, we have hip hop dancing. We have, it's just gonna be a feast for the senses. And um, it's all the proceeds are gonna go to help um, support this national black newspaper that is struggling financially, but at the same time, we continue to serve our community. And the theme of the fundraiser is celebrating the Bayview Hunters Point community. We want to ensure everybody that the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper supports the Bayview Hunters Point community wholeheartedly. We love this community, and we are so happy to have been here for almost 45 years, and we just hope hopefully we ask that everyone come out and join us on our zoom you can you, you you can you're going to see the zoom link we have flyers posted you can go to our our website www.sfaview.com you can go to our instagram page we have youtube channel and we have a link tree it'll be very easy to donate if we could get 100,000 people to get $1 a piece that would be fantastic. So we just have, we're just really excited about this um, new era that we're about to enter um, with the San Francisco Bayview. Right,
2: yeah. And and on Fridays, um, you have a standing um, conversation with your fiance, uh, Nube. And I'm going to let people know how they can listen in on that on Facebook. Sure.
3: Yes, yes. We actually have a Facebook Live. Um, broadcast that we do every friday and this is you can um actually view it by visiting the california prison focus facebook page if you go to the california prison focus facebook page at 10 o'clock 10 a.m every friday you can um Tune in to New Bay and I um, speaking on certain issues that are affecting the criminal justice system here in California, and we also speak about broader issues that, um, with the national conversation, um, things that are affecting um, us as a people. We speak on many issues, and it's just really great to be able to collaborate with my partner, my friend. Uh, My comrade and my future wife on this uh, show, she has a phenomenal uh, campaign called Liberate the Cage Voices where she's advocating for the release of our long-held elders here in California, and she's been focusing on a specific elder every week. And when I say an elder, I'm talking about elder prisoners who have been incarcerated
2: You give again um, your contact information for people that might have some breaking news um, that they'd like to share or just want to get um, some more information and and lastly um, I wanted you to let people know besides coming to the fundraiser of course and donating their one plus uh, to to the to the uh, to the effort um, other things that you're looking for support in
3: yes um, right my, I'm give you my contact information Um one, one surprise, I guess I'll go ahead and I'll let the cat out the bag right now, is that we, Mary Ratcliffe will officially be announcing the transfer of the editorship. I will officially be becoming the editor of the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper on November 20th. So um, that's something that's a little surprise. And I'll share it with Sister Wanda because she's such a close friend and comrade of the paper um, that you heard it first right here that I'll be actually becoming the official editor on the 20th of November. My contact information, you can email me if you have news or if you have. Um, we want to develop a collaborative relationship with the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper, you can email me at malik, M-A-L-I-K, at S-F, And if you see news happening, or if you have a compelling story that you would like us to publish in our National Black Newspaper, you can call me at 669-216-6104. I repeat, you can email me at malik at com, and you can phone call. Phone me at 669-216-6104. Okay, super. Um
2: And um, I wanted to know um, if at your um, Facebook Live this Friday, the 20th, you know, before, you know, the evening program begins, are you going to talk a little bit about the election uh, results, you know, now that the count is in? Yeah. Did you have any – were you all going to talk a little bit about that?
3: Um, We we may. um, I'm pretty sure that uh, we're very – we're very – involved in the civic you know in the civic process as far as the voting issue we did uh newbay and i actually collaborated on an uh, on an article in the editorial in the october paper black votes matter that was the title and that was because black votes do matter and i think uh President-elect Biden and President, uh, Vice President-elect Kamala Harris are in the positions they are is because black folks and people of color as a whole came out and voted for these people. So, yes, we'll probably be speaking on that. I know I want to speak about, specifically, I want to speak about the possible appointment of Hillary Clinton to a U.N. ambassador position. I'm totally against that, it's, uh, especially with her track record with Yemen and some other unsavory acts that she has participated in, I just don't think that that's a good look for Joe Biden. But as we, we'll, we'll talk about that at a further time.
2: Right. <laughs> okay. Cool. And um, is there anything that you wanted to mention that that you weren't able to mention? Um, you can now if you like.
3: One thing that I want everybody to know is that the black the struggle for black liberation, the struggle for black lives is alive and kicking and alive well here in America. And I think that we are not going to be able to continue to progress forward if we don't hold out the right hand of fellowship to LGBTQ community against injustice. Um, the oppressors or the people that want to throw us back to Jim Crow, United States, who want to turn the black clot back and um, just embrace this um, white supremacist and white nationalist ideologies and attitudes. We cannot defeat These things by ourselves. We have to have a united front against hatred here in America. So I just want to say that, that the San Francisco Bayview National Black Newspaper. My vision for the way forward is to actually form more partnerships and allies of other people who are oppressed, who might not necessarily be black people, but they might love us. And they might want to support us and believe in our cause, and I don't want. To, I'm not going to compromise my stance as being a strong, outspoken, and intelligent black man. But I will side with somebody who is, you know, ready to say, you know what? We've made some mistakes in the past, and I'm willing to put out the right hand of the fellowship and join with you against some of these things that aren't right here in America. So I'm. That's what I want to say, that we want to um, be inclusive and we want a united front against hatred here in America.
2: Mm-hmm. Right, right. So you're talking about coalition building. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right, cool, super. What's and thanks? actually,
3: um, yes. mm-hmm. with, you know what, mm-hmm. I, as long, while we're talking about that, one thing I definitely don't want to, uh, I, I will be remiss if I don't mention this, that um, El Tecalote, um, the Latinx newspaper out of the Mission District, is actually our partner in organizing this phenomenal fundraiser, Alexis Taratas and Juan Gonzalez, Wow, they have been, Fatima Ramirez, Josue Rojas, these people have been incredible. They have just loaned so much aid aid and assistance, mutual aid and solidarity. We have an Asian sister named Era Kien, a student at the City College of San Francisco who has just done a phenomenal job helping us organize this fundraiser. We love Kien. We Kien. We just are just thrilled to have this partnership and coalition with El Tecalote. So I gotta give them a big shout out, They've
2: probably beat me up, i say Nice, nice. That's I'm glad. I'm glad you remember. We don't want you to get beat up. <laughs>
1: yeah, oh man, Oh, they bad me. <laughs> <laughs> wow,
2: well, yeah. it's been really wonderful, you know, having this first of we hope, many conversations with you, um, brother Malik, and congratulations on, you know, the pre congratulations on stepping into this important role as editor of the San Francisco Bay um, you know you're standing on some really strong strong foundational um, shoulders that will not let you go you know and and you're right there have been a lot of people that have stepped up um, but you're still you know you're still standing <laughs> and maybe that's because you're you're Malik you know Malik is you know Abdul Malik servant of the king right <laughs> right, but uh, but uh,
3: but, uh, but uh, I think you know what you know what Wanda? What hmm. I have, I think that a lot of the people that came before me didn't have
1: hmm. I
3: have Griffin Jones, who's our development manager. I have New Brown who's our managing our managing editor. Hmm. I have John Corcoran, who has stepped in to become our certified public accountant. I have Mary Ratcliffe as my mentor, friend and and person who's guiding me, and then I have Dr. Willie Ratcliffe. I mean, I have the support, and then I have you. i got, I got support. I am. It ain't just me doing this by myself. I have people propping me up who, are, if I have followed by right the wayside, they're nudging me and supporting me. It's not just me by myself. It's a team. I mean, I'm just blessed to have a beautiful team around me, and I'm, I'm thankful. And then I have the community. This is a beautiful community. Bayview Hunter's Point, uh, they're a beautiful community. They're very supportive of, of me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? They've embraced me, so I I love the Bayview Hunters Point Community. I'm glad to be a part of it. I love the people, and um, I feel like they love me too. Mm -hmm. So it's all good.
2: Right? Yeah, definitely, all good. And you know, sounds like you know this is something that, um, you know, it's time. And I'm glad that you were available and ready and prepared to step into this role. And uh, it can only it can only go it can only get better. I'm sure because. It's been good since you've been around. Since you've since you've stepped up and stepped in. We've all been really happy to receive you. Well,
3: I'm glad to be received. You know, it's good to be seen, it's good to be heard, it's good to be free. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, yes, yes, certainly, certainly. Well, thank you again so much and um yeah, so we're gonna end this part of the conversation. So it's uh, the taping. <laughs> all right. Listening. <laughs> So we're gonna um move from the wonderful conversation with comrade uh, Malik and uh, don't forget tonight six to eight is the beginning of the uh weekend um celebration of the san francisco bayview uh really uh integral part of 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 this wonderful wonderful vibrant community and you don't wanna miss it so that's six to eight um on the ground and also in Zoom, and then Saturday, 1 to 3. And you can find out all the information at sfbayview.com. And congratulations, Comrade Malik, on your new position that will be announced later on today, this evening, at the fundraiser um, block party. So we're going to um, play a song, and, uh, and then we're going to shift into... Um, uh, a wonderful interview from the archives with a veteran of the Civil Rights Movement, um, uh, Ms. Colia Lafayette-Clark, and I'll tell you more about her. And we'll listen to this wonderful interview. I haven't listened to it in a while, but it was really, really powerful. And, uh, yeah, I met her at the centennial of the UNIA uh, Marcus Garvey, the Honorable Marcus Garvey's organization, uh, United Negro Improvement Association African Citizens League. So here's the wall in Hima. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Again, that was Nawal's Hema, and uh, that particular song is a part of a, a wonderful collection. Uh, Putumayo presents Women of Africa, and uh, I want to tell you a little bit about Nawal, who used to live in Berkeley. So she was here for a little bit, and when I met her, and and then I got a chance to visit her in France, in Paris, where she lives now. Um, but she comes from Cameroon a group of four islands in the Indian Ocean between Madagascar and the eastern coast of Africa. A cultural crossroads, the music of the Comoros Islands reflects influences of Arabic, East African, and Indian music. Nawal, as I mentioned, she lives in France, and she strives to bring her island's rich cultural legacy to a, a wider audience. Hima means get up, and it's sung in Camarodian, Cameroon. Uh, the language of the Kamaruz, which has Bantu origins. Um, and they use she uses uh, inst- guitar. She plays guitar. Kabosi, which is a lute from Madagascar, West African talking drum and Indian tabla drums. And the song, which is what I wanted to share with you, encourages women to strive for education and self-reliance and to not live like the older generation. And so in the song, uh, Nawal says, Hey, you modern women, hey, you modern woman, Get up, get up, don't be afraid, free yourself from the shadow, and fight for your rights. So I thought it was a great song to um, preface uh, a conversation with uh, Ms. Colia Lafayette-Clark, who um, uh, uh, is an American activism politician. She's 80 this year, and she was the Green Party's candidate for the United States Senate in New York in 2010 and 2012. She is a veteran of the Civil Rights Movement, as I already mentioned, Black Power Movement, and Pan-African Movement. Wow is right. She was field secretary for the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee and played a key role in establishing equal voting rights in Selma, Alabama. She was also an organizer with the Birmingham Campaign, as well as throughout Mississippi. Her work has included activism in the fields of women's rights and workers' rights, as well as activism and advocacy for homeless people and youth. She works with uh the Cynthia McKinney. She worked she worked, sorry, with Cynthia the Cynthia McKinney for President campaign with power to the people. And uh she is a member of the Reconstruction Party and is the chairman of Grandmothers for the release of Mumia Abu Jamal. And um and this I'm sure might she she's probably done a lot is doing a lot more now, and we definitely need to get her on live so we could talk about what she's doing presently. but this was part one of a very long and wonderful interview, and I'm thinking if I could get it together, I might try to play part two, but right now, here is part one of an interview with um uh miss uh Colia lafayette Clark and um Talking about her work as an activist, and I'm trying to think, when did I record this? Because I don't have the date that it, that the recording happened, but it's been um it's been many years. <laughs> but you know, um, it's it's a it was a really what I remember is was a really wonderful conversation, and of course it has a lot of jewels that we can apply right now.
4: Good not listening.
2: Okay, yeah, um, well. It's just really an honor to, to speak to you about about your work, um, you know, in the NAACP and then with uh, SNCC in and in some really pivotal um positions. And and then you were here in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, I guess doing some organizing with young people around um civic engagement. And I was wondering, um, first how did that go? You know, you're it
4: went quite well. I really, really, really was very fortunate to be able to be working with some really great people, but to be able to um, get young people attention for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. And that was a really wonderful thing. I'm looking forward to do it again.
2: Oh, that's excellent. That's excellent. And I was just noticing that, you know, you have certainly not stopped at all in in your work. It seems like sort of you've been engaged all your life. I I if you could maybe talk a little bit about how you became um, an activist.
4: Well, I grew up in an activist family, a family, well, they weren't out in the street organizing for civil rights, but certainly both parents were registered voters. Mm-hmm. Uh, they encouraged the children to stand up for something, you know, you can live any old kind of way, but um, really needed to be able to try to do something in our lives that, changed the world which we came into because we came into it for a reason other than to sit around and look at ourselves in the mirror or just to accumulate capital. Um, so I grew up with that as an understanding. I knew from a time I was a small child, but there were some expectations of me from not just my family, mm-hmm. but I grew up in a time when the black community was still a community. The community expected you to excel somewhere, to do well somewhere, and everybody in the community participated in that example. My family didn't have much money, so stuff like debutante balls <laughs> didn't mean anything to them.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, but because I did well in school, uh, the barbers and beauticians of the state of Mississippi wanted me to have a special moment. So mm-hmm. they actually sponsored me for the debutante ball. Another example, uh, 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 on a more urgent note, that is a beautiful young man in town who was said to be a great mathematician. Everybody in town, and I do mean everybody, uh, knew it. we had a responsibility of making sure that that young man got to college. Mm-hmm. Everybody participated in sending some to the parents. It's another day and another time. We don't have that anymore, mm-hmm. uh, partially because of the war on black folk after the civil rights struggle, and also I think partially because we had failed notions about uh, what civil rights would do for us. Civil rights was really just a metaphor for black liberation. Mm. So we were, in quotes, liberated, but there was nothing waiting for us at the end of the line. Mm. So um, there was kind of a bitterness, kind of an anger that said, um, you know, I thought someone's going to be here. Fought all this hard fight, where is it? Of course, black power helped a little bit, but but not that much. Mm-hmm. So I think that that was part of it. So I grew up in a world where I was expected to make change. I wanted to be a scientist gave it up when I got to college because I all of a sudden there was this other world that I didn't know anything about. Um and I figured that's where I needed to spend my lifetime.
2: mhm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was um reading, um, in your short bio that um that your father and maternal grandfather, um, they uh they were sound like they were union organizers, um
4: yeah, they, they didn't call themselves <laughs> union organizers. I don't think it were union. anything to them. Um, the farm labor, you know, the farmers mm-hmm. worked hard, and they were farmers. Uh, they didn't work on anybody's plantation as such, but they knew what that work was about. And they just wanted to make sure that they made some kind of a change with farm labor movement. So there was no farm. i get a kick out of it because there was no farm labor movement in our county, but these two busybodies, would go to other counties and work, mm-hmm. and so they would leave Hines county where we grew up, and where we where they had been all my life. my grandfather's people come from Simpson County. this is my mother's father,
1: mm-hmm.
4: and so they would leave Hines county and actually go to the neighboring counties that had farm labor movement and work trying to organize farmers, really serious about it, serious to the point where they would you know willing't to pay the Inexplicable price to make sure that it happened.
2: hmm Yeah, yeah. And then, um, and during the Great Flood of 1927, um, your um, your maternal grandfather and great grandfather, um, uh, tell us what happened then, because I I thought from what I heard about the Great Flood is that uh, black people were made to repair uh, the levees, like
4: they yeah, were. Yeah, the word was forced. Okay. And I had a cousin who lost his life in it because oh. they um hmm. uh, thought he had not worked or for whatever reason they came to the door and um asked him why he didn't show. Him. He tried to explain that um he had shown. Mm-hmm. Um he was of course um shot to death right before his parents, I mean, before his uh, wife and children. Um the thing about this thing is that the federal government, the federal government. Uh, and the state of Mississippi, the flood commission was headed by a brother, a white brother, of course, from the state of Mississippi, a, 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 a planter, a very wealthy planter, uh, conscripted black people. That is, black people were forced to, black men own it, were forced to go work on the levee. Not white men, black men were forced to work on the levees. And you need to hear this, and, and, and to really, and black people need to hear this stuff, they really know this stuff. That black women and children were not allowed to leave the plantations. In the meanwhile, my father would describe my father. Would, of course, I would describe you know these, these coming uh, down the river on these barges. I had them on barges, uh, and you would see black women and children sitting on the roof while white women and children are being taken out by boats, by barges, or however they can get them out. This was a backwater flood. The water backed in from New Orleans all the way well from coast, of course Coast, all the way up to Cairo, Illinois, hung there, hung there for 180 days. For those who are interested, the flood of 27 is actually online, and you can go on and do some of this reading. We have got to do this reading. It's so urgent.
1: Mm-hmm. I urge
4: young people where I go, I try to leave them with enough information that they can just go to um, online and take advantage of the wonders of the website. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um and read this stuff. This is urgent, 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 urgent work, because we've got to know that we're dealing with a government that cares so little for us as human beings that it forced women and children to just stay there, and many of them drowned right there on this levee. They say that a little over a thousand died in this flood, and I know that's a lie. It's not possible. My daddy would say, well, what a joke. Because mm-hmm. um, the flood hung that one for too long, um, and it was hung all the way up, you know, to Chicago. To Cairo, Illinois, that's a that's quite a long distance when you think about it, from the coast of New Orleans to the um, all the way into uh, Cairo, Illinois. That's yeah. quite quite a long
2: distance. Yeah, it sure is. hmm. Yeah, I was just thinking, just listening to you, that uh, your family, you you all have kept your family history and the history of the region, and and you know, therefore, the country. Really, you're, it's real, you're real conversant with it. It sounds as if you all would talk a lot in your family oh, about what was going things. on.
4: You know, we, we're family prayer people. <laughs> um, I get a kick out of it. My parents left the church as a church. They, didn't leave, they still believe in the church, mm-hmm. but they left the church as a church when I was seven years old. Hmm. My mother was a real rabble rouser. She was very, very upset that the preacher was taken from of people. Hmm. and she was not going to be in any place, and she got up and delivered a 45-minute sermon. Mother should be ashamed of herself. <laughs> we kids were ashamed anyway. Mother delivered a 45-minute sermon when she found out that the blind man, who uh, she thought we were not, was not that he was taking money, you know, not really supporting the people, um, and she probably was a little bit angry, too, that she had to give up something. My mother, when they left the countryside and came into the city, you know, I'm sure I was expecting to see some things in our own coffers, mm-hmm. and here this preacher was taken from the, the folk that they gave money to in crises. Remember, in the South and old days, whenever there was a crisis, well, you don't remember; you're too young of a baby to remember. <laughs> whenever there was a crisis, uh, everybody chipped in. Mm-hmm. Everybody chipped in, just as they chipped in to send folks to school or whatever. And as Africans still doing, I meet mean Africans now who come from villages where people are still. Um, Karen and Karen, and that's such a wonderful thing. I think.
1: Mm-hmm. But anyway,
4: my mother was very upset with preacher, so she delivered her famous sermon, <laughs> her sermon on the mount, and we left the church and would not return. And I, I appreciate that from them. You know, I was I was embarrassed for a long time when I was a kid that other kids were in church and I had to say that you know we didn't go. Uh, but time went by, and I've learned now that my mother was really on target. Great woman. Mm-hmm. I love her, always <laughs> love her, always have loved her. But, you know, just to have a mother that firebrand type. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to the family and, and history, we sat around that fireplace and every Sunday night, it took me, I was a grown woman before I figured it out, and a grown woman with my own children when I figured out what they did.
1: Mm-hmm. These
4: two people were just, just good parents. I mean, you know, what kind of Um uh, Every Sunday night at exactly... And I do mean exactly 6 o'clock, all children had to be in the house. Okay, How old you were, there were no ages. (laughs) My dad and mama was still that group that says, my way or the highway. Mm -hmm. But all of us were there, and the family prayer began. But family prayer is not just people sitting around praying. We did that, too. But this is where you, it was on demand. You had to show talent. First of all, you had to show that you knew something about the Bible. And then you had to show talent and they met every single word of it. There was no age group excuse, even the youngest. And my grandkids when they came back to Mississippi and I came back when my oldest was nine years old. Um, I want to go back to where I started. And since I was divorced from the second husband, there was nobody for me to hang around in <coughs> Northland. I moved on.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: But we came back and it was phenomenal. You know, they sat there, and my kids to this day talk about being in that experience, especially at a part where you have to do your talent. Mm. So, this was old school. This was old Africa school. <laughs> um, and I'm very pleased, you know, as I've grown older, to understand that um, part of the reason of having eight boys and not having issues was because um, they really instilled in us a strong sense of being family and community. And we bought into it. My eight brothers knew they had to be in. They were in. Of course, girls certainly we was old school. They may be old school. And my daddy talked about his liberalism, and he was fairly liberal. i give him credit for that. I didn't have to do stuff like I iron my brother's shirts and take care of them or wash the dishes uh, because I was a girl. My father believed that in this life, you do not know where you're going. So everybody in the house, everybody, everybody, needed to be able to do any work that they physically could do, Mm -hmm. there was no exception. There's no such thing as boys and girls um, until I got to be a teenager. Then all of a sudden there was boys and girls in another sense. (laughs) 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 I couldn't get out of the house when I wanted to. Um, But, you know, so we were a very strong. There was no such thing as a private source of funds. You can make all the funds you wanted. Mm -hmm. Wanted to, but all the money came to the pot, Mm -hmm. which Mm -hmm. we didn't appreciate until my— second brother who was the first child to get married got married and they were you know not only putting them in a house but furnishing it that huh. they had really across time taking care of the funds and you know was there wouldn't have been there i'm sure it wouldn't have been there had we had our hands on it mm-hmm. of course we complained under our breath because we weren't going to do too much complaining out loud in those days parents were parent, mm-hmm. and you did not challenge them too much hmm. um So we didn't have a lot of liberty when it came around to saying, what we wanted to say. Mm -hmm. But um, they knew how to raise children, and they did a powerful good job of raising eight children. Mm
1: -hmm. And today
4: that house in Jackson where we started is um, now uh, a historic site for the Civil Rights Movement Mm. in the state of Mississippi because all of us in the house Uh participated in everything that there was, including getting up and getting out of the bed. My mother came in and asked me, I'll never forget, I wasn't feeling well on my 21st birthday. So she comes in, she said, did you register to vote yet? <laughs> my mother, I just turned <laughs> 21 this, this afternoon, this afternoon is born in afternoon. She said, oh, no, no, no. You get up and get out of here. <laughs> I had to get up and get out immediately, go down and get registered to
1: vote. Hmm.
4: Um, so that's how firm they were about making sure that their children, that their children, Knew that we had responsibilities and that we had to. No excuses for not doing it. There was no excuse. The work had to be done, and we were part of the work.
2: Wow. So where where is your um, your family home that's now a historic landmark in
4: Jackson? he said Jackson, Mississippi, at thirty five twenty seven Bishop Street. Thirty five twenty seven. Everybody, Bishop. including Jesse Jackson, has been here. <laughs> in fact, Jesse lived here for a while, mm-hmm. uh, hanging out with my parents. But, uh, yeah, this was, uh, you know, like most families in Mississippi, people needed a place to stay. They were, they were fighting for us. Mm-hmm. So my parents were committed to making sure that when they were in Jackson, Mississippi, that they could come by and stay in the house. Wow. That's
2: so how amazing. That is so awesome. Yeah, I was um, reading about, um, you know, your, your early um uh, membership in the NAACP, and then I was reading another document that was connected to your your short bio about how the NAACP was, I think, the only organization, or is the only organization, where young people can participate. You know, there there is no age discrimination. I mean, they can go all the way up. And oh yeah, uh, no
4: doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Wow. But, you know, we got to be very clear, though, that that was always the struggle between NAACP and the emerging organizations.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And oftentimes we forgot that the disgruntled NAACP people who we were picking up were, in fact, uh, you know, our new leadership.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: But they were still old NAACP. So we could just go to the Macomb, Mississippi, and C.C. C. Bryant in, in Mississippi, one of the finest, beautiful men. He was with the. Um, Brotherhood of Sleeping Club Porters, mm-hmm. but he was the president of NHP for what I call the, the Revolutionary Hour, right there at Macomb, Mississippi,
1: mm-hmm.
4: where we will see a massive change with a young girl being thrown out of school, and they actually closed the school for the county. Mm-hmm. But in closing the school for the county, you know, you know, you can't say you're going to close the school for junior high, junior high schools and senior high schoolers And just yeah, folks sit "Out of the by and look." So to our surprise, uh, the Catholic school moved forward and said they would send for all of the junior high schoolers, and they did. They sent for every junior high schooler that would ride to bring them to Jackson to school. Now, what did this do for the rest of us? This meant that people in Jackson, Mississippi, every day had to see those young kids ride, you know, ride up on their buses and get off. And we couldn't just stand out in the back. We also had to take a stand. So it was just a very unique period. And you can see this coming together of uh, the whole state
1: mm-hmm. around
4: who? A group of young kids at McCall, Mississippi, who because they refused to stand still for one of their members, who had spent 40 days in jail. And she's out in California with you out there in the Oakland, I believe, mm-hmm. Brenda Travis.
1: Oh. Spent 40 days
4: in jail with Bob Moses. Yeah, and the other crew in sixties, um, he was being dismissed from school. That's arbitrarily, you know, get out, go somewhere else. And the kids found out about it, and they actually marched. It was one of the funny moments for Snick 'cause Cause Nick looked up, and the movement was coming to it, <laughs> <laughs> hmm. coming down the street with five hundred plus kids marching strong. Uh, already made up their minds. They were going to go to the, you know, to the next county. No experience at all. But they were marching. So this is the one time when SNCC actually stopped the movement. <laughs> mm-hmm. They stopped the kids. Now they knew they'd be slaughtered, so they stopped the kids and, and brought them up and and then engaged them and got them prepared to really do the fight. And they did do the fight.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So yeah. this is one of those moments of, when you see the coming together a movement, a whole state, entire state standing together. And I do mean together in defense. Of the rights of youth to go to school to the point where they will actually send forth the children mhm yeah when i
2: when I look at you know footage and speak to people like yourself about the work that you did during um i I feel it's you know another one of, see the second civil war um you know mm-hmm. that that of civil rights yeah. and um and just the brutality and the terrorism of that you experienced, and, and it wasn't as if you weren't you you weren't expecting it to happen. And you even mentioned in, in the bio that you, you know you received this one of your worst beatings of your career uh, in Birmingham, Alabama. Yeah, yeah I just wanted to like, but then you know you you would get up and go
4: back. We just like, no sources. Hmm. You know, we get beat anyway. And I'm a firm believer black folk look at our historic experience, and I'm really upset now. I came back and found out there was a huge killing right here in Harlem Mm -hmm. uh, as I was coming back into the state, not too far from me on Malcolm X Boulevard of all places. You know, just Mm -hmm. how can you do anything on Malcolm X Boulevard but think about change? Mm -hmm. Yet it's with us, us, you know, shooting each other. Mm -hmm. Um, So when I look back across time at that our history, and the kind of beatings we took, we had it to do. Somebody had it to do. And the only thing you wanted to do was try to shield somebody else, because if they would beat me down somewhere, or could beat me down, they were going to beat somebody down somewhere in the state. You understand what I'm saying? hmm So to understand that, you also don't do foolish stuff, because you know somebody is going to pay. If they can't get you, they're going to get somebody. So... um we were also committed not to doing foolish stuff, but with full understanding that it was our, 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 our time on stage. Hmm. Was it Fanon that talks about uh, every generation has yeah. a generational task?
1: Mm-hmm. You would either,
4: either meet it or just, you know, fail one or the other. You either meet your generational task or you fail. We had an opportunity to meet our generational task. We had assistance from all kinds of the seniors in and out of the community, black and white primarily black, but there was white, too, uh, who were there to help us get on this stage and get our job done. Mm -hmm. So we got on the stage, and we were the first generation in a very long time to meet this generational Mm task.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, um, you know, this is the 50th anniversary of the Selma march and the 10th anniversary of... Uh, Hurricane Katrina, you know the great flood yeah, in yeah. in uh, the Gulf yeah. uh, this this not uh, August. not talking about it?
4: Mm-hmm. No. Mm-mm. I mean that, and we got we need to talk about that because that's back to where my daddy started. You know, mm-hmm. this is where they got off the boat, so to speak. where these beautiful people in Mississippi and Alabama and all of Louisiana, all across the South, and all the way into Illinois, are struggling to try. And uh, just to live, just to live, it was not a pretty picture, hmm. not a pretty picture. Just struggling to survive. And I wonder, you know, now if we could even dream of uh, what happened to all of those wonderful people. We should say prayers all the time for all the ancestors we lost in that way, blood. And Katrina, the war on black people. This wasn't just a flood. This was a war on black people. Mm-hmm. An opportunity for the Bush administration to take the time to destroy
2: us. Yeah. Yeah, Mrs. Clark, you, you sound a little further away than you did um, a few minutes oh, ago. I,
4: I'm,
2: oh, let me pull back in something. Give me
4: that. Um, say something else.
2: Oh, uh, am I back? Um, um, I can hear you, but you're not as uh, clear and loud as you were before. So I don't oh, okay. know what happened. Let me get
4: louder. <laughs> <laughs> am I all right now?
2: Oh yeah, you're good.
4: Mhm. Uh, what I was saying is that, you know, these folk at New Orleans were not just a a a common flood. It was a war zone. Mm-hmm. I was down for the Katrina tribunal. Oh, you were for the people awesome. to testify. Yeah. Brought in Julia Wright, Richard Wright's daughter. hmm uh, brought her we got her in from Paris and mm-hmm. she was a wonderful this, She's a brilliant woman anyway, but she was a wonderful for this commission.
1: Oh, awesome. Um,
4: but those people testified.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: All kinds of groups, all kinds of businesses, social services. They destroyed social services.
1: Mm. They
4: destroyed teachers because they wanted to destroy and they have destroyed uh, the very foundation of the political system mm-hmm. for New Orleans. New, Lo- New Orleans blacks are no longer now uh, in charge of that. Destinies, as they were briefly prior to this coming of this great flood.
1: Mm-hmm. But with
4: the flood, whites have now regained the political system, and we, might dear heart, are out. Mm-hmm. But listening to the people at the tribunal testify, I mean, you sit there, you just sometimes your whole face would light up with heat, if mm-hmm. your mind did. Um, but what could we do? We sit there, we listen to people who have lost everything, We listened at the indigenous tribes that they talk about, um, and they talked about it. I mean, right here. And I've been trying to get the documentation for this stuff, Mm -hmm. but I haven't been able to. Colleen Kuno, well, Kuno was was some some information, but it was just just an Mm inkling of what happened with this great tribunal. We need the tribunal's record. We need to demand the tribunal's record Um, because they sat there and they talked about exactly what happened how it happened. Every group, you know, every group was sitting there testifying about what happened to them um, and it just those who came from cancer. Alley, 120 miles stretch, running across New Orleans, and I didn't even know that that running across Louisiana, I didn't even know it was there.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Cancer from these chemicals that we get in our chest every day.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Every day we get these chemicals in our chest if we live in this region. So there's just cancer everywhere you went. Uh, To hear this great testimony, great testimony, I will try for you to, and I will try, again, to see if I can get a hold to Mm -hmm. uh, the original documentation from the Great Tribunal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What happened in New Orleans, Mm -hmm. how it happened, how the Bush administration participated in genocide Mm
1: -hmm. right
4: before our eyes in our lifetime, not somewhere else in some other lifetime, in our lifetime these people actually set out to commit a bounded genocide to remove the blacks from the New Orleans area.
1: Mm-hmm. They yeah. couldn't
4: vote. left, but you couldn't vote.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, teachers were removed. Their unions were destroyed uh, because they fired all of them. So, you know, you fired now. You're no longer working.
1: Mm-hmm. So you
4: got to be rehired. But they did not rehire the schools. I think only... Four of the original union schools were returned. So um, it's a lot of work that we need to do as a people in terms of just documenting Katrina. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, uh, let's think about Katrina.
2: Oh, yeah, it's real important. Mm
4: -hmm. Let's not even breathe until we answer the questions concerning Katrina Mm
2: -hmm. and
4: begin to tell our kids, you know, look, we're dealing with an animal here that will take your life by any means necessary. Mhm miracles words,
2: yes, By mm-hmm. any
4: means necessary this animal will take your life,
2: mm-hmm. yeah, it was um, it sort of reminded me of Rwanda, only it was here, you know how how you know oh, for a hundred days, the world let Africans get slaughtered you know yeah. and nothing happened no 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 support i mean i mean there were african you know countries you know and soldiers helping but there was no international intervention there and similarly you know we're seeing people drowning or or yeah. dying of of dehydration or and then we hear about people being killed in the hospitals by by vigilante medical personnel, and, and I'm like, whoa. In the
4: bridge, in the hospital. I yeah, about yeah. About the bridge.
2: Mm-hmm. The girl, need
4: to remember in the case of Rwanda, too, because mm-hmm. they will get us confused and put us on the wrong track. We don't understand that the great killing in Rwanda was with the French and the invasion
1: mm-hmm. that began in the
4: 1884 and on into the 1890s. The crisis that we have seen in Africa now, a crisis created by this same enemy at another time period. Mhm. And we don't you know, because we don't really know that much about history, we don't we forget, you know, that there was this great uh, scramble as they called it for Africa. Mm.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Just decided to go in and take over the place. After all they've been dealing with us and for slavery for how many years? Mm-hmm. The whole slave trade now has gone on for right at um well, more than three hundred years actually.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So now they were in to take the something in just as we are doing as you and I speak. As you and I speak, we have in Africa, in Africa, 28 U.S. military bases called AFCOM. We're invading in Africa, as you and I speak. We're invading and bombing Somalia. As you and I speak, we're killing all over Africa. I was in Libya just at the end, at the end. I still don't know. I just say, well, the Lord wanted me to go to see the end.
1: Mm
4: -hmm. Gaddafi told us as we sat there in Libya, um, five days before this madness would start. we were there for five days. Mm -hmm. We were out just before it started. And what was he trying to do? He was trying to set up a project, bringing in 882 Africans from across the globe and others, but primarily Africans, to talk about how we could begin to, Redevelop ourselves, really, redevelop ourselves, and for that he paid the inexplicable price. Mm-hmm. He, paid, he paid it, paid it hard, pain, hard pain.
2: Yeah.
4: Oh, uh, but again, it's a it's a story that we are not conscious of because we we don't we haven't looked at what's happened to us, not really.
1: Mm-hmm. We just
4: have not looked at our lives and how we got here. We assumed that we were born speaking English somewhere.
1: Um.
4: That's an all right thing. Um, We have not asked him, what does that really mean? Who are we in the end? Who are we ultimately? Who are we? But, yeah, you brought it back when you start saying New Orleans. You brought me all the way back to, to living here, back to uh, talking about, bring everyone to talking about uh, the great genocide.
1: Mm-hmm. That
4: was, oh, my God, and we can't even begin to talk about not only, you know, the destruction of the place itself, but but to talk
2: about the genocide that happened under the French. We can't even begin to talk about it. It's
4: just un- mm-hmm. it's unthinkable. It is unthinkable. Yeah. And it's really we interesting. to talk about it because there's no mm-hmm.
2: excuse for us to kill it. No, not at all. And it's so interesting, you know, that the French government is uh, implicit. You know, we think about how in order to... To try to win the war in 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 Haiti, that the, you know the black generals won. Yeah. They you know the France sold off uh, um, uh, Louisiana uh, to um, to the United States, you know, for really a reasonable price. I mean, yeah,
4: he, we he had to move in a hurry. Girl. <laughs> yeah,
2: and 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 then they still lost. And then and so yes, then we indeed. yeah yeah and so we've got yeah, France I see, there. <laughs> I tell
4: you, Toussaint did a good job, but that that. Uh,
2: Christoph um, and Dessalines and Pachon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those.
4: And Yeah, oh, Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
4: What a combination. Mm-hmm. They yeah. did not play. Mm-hmm. But also we have to look at the role played there. Uh with the um so called Creole population. With the what we know today as the Dominicans. Mm,
1: mm-hmm.
4: mhm. As they all came in together to fight this great fight. Mhm. Um it was just a one. I mean, we, we we're still doing the Haiti work. I, I, I co coordinated the Guadeloupe Haiti Tour Committee, which is not a tour in the sense that we talk about going out to tour in the part of Haiti. But mm-hmm. so we've been in Haiti a number of times. Uh-huh. We bring people from Haiti and Guadeloupe and Martinique to the U.S. because hmm. the great strikes, two was the greatest strikes probably in the history of, of unions, took place in Martinique and Guadeloupe. Uh, in twenty was a twenty. 2010, 2011, I'm telling you, I'm getting old, really get old. I'm getting old. <laughs> uh, but anyway, these strikes were so great that more than one-third of each of the islands mm. was engaged in the union strike. Wow. And they were not union workers, but they were workers because mm-hmm. they understood that all of us are workers. Mm-hmm. Civil rights people of Dr. King, exactly, are workers.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And so they came, out, girl, and they participated. The British did every, like did everything they could, threatened the enemy, don't start a war because with Guadeloupe and Martinique they considered them departments. They considered departments <laughs> of France are not colonies anymore. <laughs> 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 you see, listen, listen. What Malcolm said, the devil? I don't want to call people the devil, but child, let's show it's devilish work.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Uh, trying to get it around uh, being labeled as having colonies. Mm-hmm. You set up something called departments. Mm-hmm. Departments for what? For human beings?
2: Yeah, but then they all have protectorates, right? As if you're, yes, you're yeah, yes. that's another, another euphemism.
4: <laughs> actually got colonies everywhere. But, <laughs> but the French are just, there's no there's no no one like the French. The French is, no, you know, they're back now. They're back in Mali.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: They uh, were very upset when they started the destruction of Libya, they, and the U.S., which is at Birmingham, Uh which means he was talking to all the tapes in the house. (laughs) So let me just say to the doohickey, I'm still on the battlefield, doohickey. We're going to (laughs) tell the truth, doohickey. So you do something else, doohickey, because we will not allow you to stop the thrust forward of these get your hands up, I can't breathe you, who will reclaim the leadership uh, for our movement for the 21st century. Fifty years coming. Long time coming, but a change is gonna come, and they're doing it, and I love them for it.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's like try to silence us. Oh my goodness! Wow.
4: Well, they did silence us. I was talking about Libya. You didn't get any about Libya.
2: (laughs) No, no, I heard. I heard you talking about Libya, and then you said they're back. You said they're back in Mali, and that's when we got disconnected.
4: (laughs) Yeah, well, they're back in Mali, but you know they have obliterated this place. Uh, There will be no gold standard for Africa anytime soon. Uh, we do have Zimbabwe's head who's also under siege uh, from all kinds of directions, not that he was as radical yeah. as mm-hmm. Um, But, um, you know, we have got to. Gaddafi's correct.
1: Mm-hmm. Nkuma
4: is correct. Mm-hmm. Nassi is correct. We've got that. Du Bois is correct. We can come back and just go name them Altona, who started the Pan African movement here in the 1880s. Um, we can go back to those hours and say that they're correct. We have got to do with these people. Let's say we have got to re- reconnect ourselves. Gandhi is correct.
1: Yeah. We've
4: got to reconnect ourselves. Malcolm is correct. We must reconnect ourselves. Dr. King was in Ghana for the uh, independence of Ghana. Mm-hmm. Dr. King is correct. We must reconnect ourselves. And not just Africa. Mm-hmm. We've Africa. got to first,
2: and,
4: mm-hmm. first connect ourselves to Canada. Mm-hmm. and Central America.
2: Yeah, and also Mexico. And then expanded. Central America, yes, and all that. That's Central
4: America, mm-hmm. yes, ma'am. Yeah. yeah, that's Central America. That's little mm-hmm. <laughs> We've got to connect ourselves to what we call North America. Mm-hmm. Uh, drop America for, for, for practical purposes, if you'd like, but uh, we've got to connect ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I had a wonderful connecting with Mexicans. Zach, sister called me last night wanting some information.
1: Mm-hmm. I was
4: shocked to get the phone call. Uh, from one of the colleges. I think it was Canata, Uh Canata, whatever you call it. Mm -hmm. I have a part-time pronouncing it. Um, But she called just to talk about the class and and to get some information. Mm
1: -hmm. And had
4: a whole family on the phone because she spoke very little English and she was struggling, Mm -hmm. really struggling with the English. Um, But that's a good thing. Mm -hmm. Because to reconnect into our roots in this continent Mm -hmm. is really urgent, Yes. Otherwise, they're going to keep throwing one of us against the other, playing, playing all of all of us as if we were some kind of rag dolls, tossing mm-hmm. us around. Uh, but if we come together as one people, with one set of objectives and aims and goals, mm-hmm. because we have them,
1: mm-hmm.
4: Indigenous women being raped by the thousands, raped as we speak. Who's doing anything about it?
1: Mm-hmm.
4: You know, just been reduced to nothing. These wonderful, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know, what can I say? We've got a lot of work to do. No young are going to do it, but we elders have responsibilities of building a package legacy about mm-hmm. our struggles, how we put it together, our successes, our failures, down to what happened to our families. Because mm-hmm. most of us, the Snicker families, were broken up. We went in separate directions. We need to talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mm-hmm. because it's um, Van important that we build community and to build community we must build family
1: mm-hmm. yeah. we must
4: say to our young uh, don't shoot your brother don't shoot your sister don't cut them up and kill him mm-hmm. <laughs> you must focus on the enemy and you are not prepared to shoot an enemy only a fool would shoot an enemy an elephant with a BB gun you'd mm-hmm. you'd be trampled so we have got to begin to work with our young and more closely listen to our young, but allow them to lead.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Allow them to lead.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: We have failed in that mission. Yes, we were successful in the early days, uh, but as soon as it was over, we found out that civil rights was a metaphor for black liberation. Mm-hmm. Black power, our defining moment, our defining moment, 1966, a road in Mississippi uh, with Dr. King and Stokely, who would later be Kwame Pura,
1: mm-hmm.
4: him screaming black power. And Dr. King said, yes, black is beautiful, and it is beautiful to be black. A defining moment. Within two weeks, we had a hat, <laughs> African hat, African clothes, and child. that was no, you, know, you weren't running up to, to, to uh, the fabric the shop looking for mm-hmm. no simplicity. Uh, patterns, or any bold patterns, because right. they weren't in that, they were in our heads.
1: hmm <laughs>
4: He was in our heads. Mm-hmm. We didn't know it was in our heads. That moment, oh, when I look back at it, I sometimes just cry. Because looking back at that moment, when overnight, my mother was doing a, My mother has this long silk hair, right? mixture of Indian and African. Mm-hmm. Um, I night, she's wrapping her hair, doing all these patterns with, with scarves and fabric, which I still can't do. I can, I've never learned to rap, do a rap, mm-hmm. a head rap. And I said, how do you do it? She said, "Oh, we would play like this when I was a girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I said, you didn't let your hair? She said, oh, no, I'd like to do all kinds of things with my hair. I didn't just hang it for the boys. <laughs> 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 uh, but, uh, you know, I learned from her to have to drape. Uh, I've all, she know, all this stuff. Hmm. We have um, got to redefine ourselves of uh, standing where we're standing here in this hour, on the shoulders of the great men and women, Uh, who preceded us and all of our ancestors, because we stand on their shoulders whether they were weak or strong.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
4: Yeah, And it takes a whole community, Mm -hmm. whole people to build a a village, a whole people to build a village Mm
2: -hmm. in
4: which we raise healthy children.
2: Yeah. So I was thinking about, you know, with you know, your conversation with your mother and and, you know, how she you knew how to tie those wraps and just the whole idea of, of beauty and black being beautiful uh, and 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 you know being proud to be black, you know what James Brown, you know yeah. said in that song, "Say it loud," and uh, Say it
0: loud. I'm
4: black and I'm proud. Get it, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: And then going back to what you were saying about um, President Gaddafi, you know his whole thing was about the United States of Africa, you know having one one currency, and and you know African nations coming together, you know for economic. Uh, Power, Because if they were one block, then they'd be able to, you know, sort of combat the the European and Chinese and other nations that, you know, have been in the United States that have been eroding, you know, the vitality. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. it's just really horrible the way everyone is just sort of taking all the resources, using Africa as, you know, they're a big waste dump, you know, for solid waste toxic waste, you know, that, yeah. yeah, that, you know, we're, we're, we're producing here in the West and they have nowhere to, to, um, you know, to put it. We dump so it then, we so dump like we throw it in, throw it in out the out ocean. Nigeria, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yeah. These, and these poor children that, and other poor people that are going there doing the scavenging for the wires and other things, getting cut and infected and dying from these toxic, um, items. It's just really, really horrific, um. And and I
4: was like Yeah, Africa has become a waste of on human human life if you between uh Israel and uh, Egypt, this is where body parts is all day long. it's killing people and taking the body parts. I mean yes we just name it, Africa has it. But Africa still has a huge reserve of water. Mm-hmm. And it's more precious than oil could ever be. So they must take Africa mm-hmm. if they can. Africa did, they were able to, Africa has a, a United African Bank, Qaddafi mm-hmm. and Nigeria had to set that up. She has in the match for the World Bank and a match for the IMF that they set up. Africa has a satellite up in the heavens, and it was, that's what, I guess that was when they began to get angry with Qaddafi and started that Scott stuff again. Mm. Because what Qaddafi, what they did, they did research and discovered that. Uh, they were paying France and others $500 million a year uh, to use their satellites. You know, the whole press for the information age uh, that came through UNESCO with DIOP and all of them, and they're struggling in the early 70s.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So why have it? Qaddafi put up $450 million. Nigeria put up thirty, and the other came from one of the banks.
1: Mm. Uh, in
4: order to buy a satellite. And now if you, anyway, I, know, I can know in the north, you can use your cell phone anywhere in the desert. Mm. Anywhere. <laughs> it's clear. Mm. Also, building in our you know, real ought to know that they are constructed, or were constructed. I don't know what's happening now with this crisis with the, uh, we know the war and they're taking up 152 billion Libyan dollars. Uh, and of course, total control, control, control of the oil. Uh, what's happening with it? But they were building in Algeria the largest satellite due to go up. Will be the largest satellite, of any satellite, Do to go up, and they're real proud. Of it. "Designed by Africans,
1: mm-hmm.
4: made from African material, built by Africans, and put it up in space." You know,
1: nice. I don't know
4: whether it's going to happen or not. Uh, I don't know what the status is. I don't even. I, I, I'm scared to even ask questions anymore because I'm I, I not getting answers I don't want to hear. Mm. Uh, but I know it's going to be difficult because Algeria has had a lot of issues, yeah. and you know Algeria financed everybody, financed everybody's revolution. Mm-hmm. So did Libya. Uh, so did Nigeria. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. People haven't
4: talked about Nigeria's contribution to the South African struggle. It was huge.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: They threw 500 million pounds on the market at one point to threaten Britain, back and
1: mm-hmm.
4: uh to try to get a deal for, for South Africa. They did the same thing for Zimbabwe. Mm-hmm. So we need to also look at Nigeria again because Nigeria didn't have a real revolution. So people like, oh, they didn't have a violent revolution, so it can't be real. But it's done some great work. Garber, General Garber, who was here at the United Nations,
1: mm-hmm. ended
4: up the South African peace.
1: But um, mm-hmm.
4: there has been big movement in Africa forward. Where it stands now, I do not know. Uh, I mm-hmm. don't know the WADU, those people who have been working with the African Union, know for the sixth region of Africa, because mm-hmm. Gaddafi was talking about added three more regions in just North America alone.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: So we would all be, you know, absolutely regions of Africa. And I like that idea about the African Union, you know, that Mm -hmm. expanded it out. Um, But that work has been silent. I've been um, trying to get Cynthia McKinney, who led the, she took 16 or 17, 17 of us, Mm
1: -hmm. to
4: uh, Libya. That's how I got there. Right. But uh, she's been working on her Ph.D., so I'm not really (laughs) clear Mm -hmm. where we stand. But we were supposed to be back organizing, uh, doing organizing as we speak. Mm-hmm. And these people some young people, I won't identify them, out of California, when I was there, who was in Africa with us, mm-hmm. about reestablishing our work.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And bringing in Canada, bringing in all of Mexico, Belize, and mm-hmm. Belize still is one of the few areas that still has the Black Cross nurses left over from the Marcus Garvey movement.
1: Yeah.
4: Uh, mm-hmm. So Belize and bringing in. Guatemala and El Salvador and Nicaragua, the whole the whole region, including the great old great Panama. Mm-hmm. bring them in, you know. Right. And yeah. talking about sitting at the table. We're going to have to learn. I'm going to have to learn some Spanish. Lord have mercy on me. <laughs> 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 I am so terrible with language. I travel long, I don't know what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. But uh, we've got to learn Spanish. We've got to mm-hmm. learn the local language. And I, you know, I resist learning languages because they're not our languages. Right, exactly, yeah. They're still the enemy's language. Mm-hmm. Uh, our languages are, you know, the traditional languages of this western hemisphere and the languages of Africa are in Asia. Mm-hmm. And we are forced to have to learn these other people's languages even to talk with each other. So yeah. what what the nation State has done in terms of destroying us It's phenomenal.
2: Yes, certainly it has been. Yeah, I was just um, wondering if you could talk a little bit more about um, the whole idea of uh, you know what Marcus Garvey was was looking at with regards to the uh, the UNIA and the ACL, and you know just had a centennial last year. Um, looking at oh, yes, I was Africa, there. Africa for oh you were so was I.
4: <laughs> they gave me honored me, I got honored. What do you oh, mean? Oh, <laughs> then I'm I, I'm a lady in the black red in the black African dress. With yeah. my goal, you'd be you don't remember me? <laughs> yes.
2: Oh, my goodness. That's you. Yes,
4: girl, I wouldn't miss oh, it for anything. Man. Yes. I wouldn't. Now, I yes. would run me up and down the street because I thought about missing it. Yeah. So when so they, of course I was
2: there. Oh, man. Yeah, I see you right now. Uh, uh, yeah, I was looking at your face. I'm like, you look so familiar. It's like, that's why you look so familiar. I'll
4: be darned. I'm not. <laughs>
2: Yeah, um, we are right in the
4: same room. Yeah, this. we
2: sure were. word. Uh, well, I, I spoke to you and I, I took proud your
4: picture. i that you were there and you're young, <laughs> and we need more young sisters in the game. Get in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, don't, it because the what Negro is there, don't get scared. Oh. <laughs> 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 right, right. Was it wasn't about Negro. Mm-hmm. It was about organizing black people internationally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, we spent had 48, 48 Gavi chapters. Mm-hmm. So we began to look at uh, the attempt to organize ourselves as one people.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah. One people. Mm-hmm. Worldwide. Yeah. Most of us think it was just in the U.S., but so no, 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 worldwide. Yeah. And the violent war waged uh, by us on us.
1: Mm-hmm. And how you ought
4: to look at that, because this war to destroy Gavi. Was not just raised by the US government and whites, uh, and but it was raised by us on us, our so called elite, our so called educated class. Mm-hmm. It is just was quite unfortunate, quite, quite unfortunate moment. Mm-hmm. But you see, we got to teach it. It's a legacy building. You know what I'm saying? Right. We yeah. have got to be able to say to our children that, yes, Dr. Du Bois was wrong, and he would live for long enough to say in his own way, I was wrong, and mm-hmm. go on to Africa himself. That's right.
2: He sure did. He, I mean, it's, but, you know, it takes people, you know, if people come to the truth in their own time, and it just took them a little longer to get there. Um, but he did yeah,
4: really. he, he was in his eighties. <laughs> <80s. laughs> yeah, he was. <laughs> what he did? Uh, let me see. He did toward Africa short uh, piece. It had been around fifty-five, fifty-six. That book comes out.
1: Mm-hmm. I think
4: I read all of his books. But um, he wasn't no baby. No. Uh, but you know, it's unfortunate that we need to even have to talk about it. Malcolm X was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal as a historian, but phenomenal as a human being to be able to assess. He really assessed it. What what? About? The black bag, this Sister, in the hallway, it's a black bag on the floor the hallway. I bought a radio. Thank you.
2: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was um, sister. Uh, wow, um, that was Sister Colia uh, Lafayette Clark um, talking about. Gosh, talking about liberation theology about freedom and about her life's work and we definitely this was um i I found out when we had this conversation it was in march march 18 2015 so definitely time for us to have another conversation with our dear sister now that she is 80 like oh my goodness yeah yeah wow that was on the um um that was a the uh the year of the uh Tenth anniversary of Hurricane Katrina. Wow. So anyway, um, we are going to uh, play a song by um, Dave called "Black," which I really, really like. And and then I have a couple of other announcements about some other events that are happening this weekend. You have to like be strategic. The um, the final um, no, that's next next month. Yeah, I was going to tell you about. Um, the uh, Afrofuturism, but that's December thirteenth. But anyway, let's play. Let's play Dave uh, Black.
5: Black is beautiful, black is excellent, black is pain, black is joy, black is evident It's working twice as hard as the people, you know you're better than Cause you need to do double what they do so you can level them Black is so much deeper than just African American Our heritage been severed, you never got to experiment with family trees Cause they teach you about famine and greed and show you pictures of our fam on their knees Tell us we used to be barbaric, we had actual queens Black is watching child soldiers getting killed by other children Feeling sick like, oh shit, this could have happened to me Your mummy watching, telling stories about your dad and your niece The black of the berry, the sweet of the juice The kid dies, the black of the killer, the sweet of the news And if he's white, you give him a chance, he's ill and confused If he's black, he's probably armed, you see him and shoot look Black is growing up around the barbershop Mummy saying stay away from trouble You're in yard a lot Studying for ages Appreciating the chance you got Cause black is in your blood And you ain't even got the heart to stop Black is stepping in for your mother Because your father's gone And standing by your children When you haven't proven karma wrong Black is doing all of the above Then going corner shopping Trying to help a lady cross the road To have a walking off Black is growing up around your family And making it Then being forced to leave the place you love Because they're hating it People say you fainted the shit Never stay. Change the shit, my black is being jealous, you'd be dead if you would stayed in it. Black is struggling to find your history or taste the shit. You don't know the truth about your race, cause they're erasing it. Black has got a sour fucking flavour. Here's a taste of it. But black is all I know. There ain't a thing that I would change in it. Changing it, changing it, changing it, changing it, changing it, changing it. Black ain't just a single fucking colour, man, it shades to it. Her hair's straight and thick, but mine's got waves in it. Black is not divisive, they've been lying and I hate this shit. Black has never been a competition, we all make this shit. Black is deadly. Black is when you're freezing in your home and you can't get sleep, but never feeling empty, cos got 20 cousins in your country living stress-free, walking for their water, daughter wrapped inside a bed sheet. Black is distant, it's representing countries that never even existed while your grandmother was living. Black is my Ghanaian brother, reading into scriptures Doing research on his lineage, finding out that he's Egyptian Black is people naming your countries on what they trade most Coast of Ivory, Gold Coast, and the grain Coast But most importantly, to show how deep all of this pain goes West Africa, Benin, they call the slave coast Black is so confusing for the culture, they're in love with it They take our features when they want and have their fun with it Never seen to help with all the things we know would come with it Loud in our laughter Silent in our suffering Black is being strong inside the face of defeat Poverty made me a beast I battled the law in the streets you will struggled but your struggle ain't a struggle like me Or well, how could it be when your people gave up the odds that we beat I mean fucking hell What about our brothers that are stuck in jail That could have bust the bell They held a burden, gotta live with it Black is being guilty until proving that you're innocent Black is saying free my fucking niggas Fuck inside the prison cells They think it's funny, we ain't got Nothing to say to them. Unconditional love is strange to them, it's amazing. And black is like the sweetest fucking flavor, here's a taste of it. But black is all I know, there ain't a thing that I would change in it.
2: was the sounds of blackness hold on changes Change changes here we are the change right I uh, got an email from uh, Uzo method X uh, Afro urban society which is coming to the conclusion of its Bacanal de Afrique um, today is the end of I think about three weeks of African diaspora performance film conversations so hopefully you were able to catch some of it and tomorrow um no, saturday november 21st from 11 to 1 there's going to be uh, some afro dance and healing workshop facilitated by Griot Manju Kone and uh uh Uzo Uzo Amaka uh Nwank, Nwankpa uh, and there's going to be live drumming by Richmond Wigging and uh, Bumpity Thump. <laughs> Bumpity Thump, that sounds like a rhythm, right? And again, uh, that's uh, tomorrow, Saturday, November 21st, 11 to 1, at Liberation Park, the Black Cultural Zone. That's at 6955 Foothill Boulevard, um, the old Eastmont Mall parking lot. And the sliding scale, pay what you can if you need a free ticket, email. Uh, Uzo, and uh, and there is a um, a registration ticket. Anyway, it's a large space, and people are asked to wear their mask at all time. And if there's if you are sick, stay home. And uh, people are going to be distanced. And it's for people of African descent. Um, so allies, if you're not people, a person of African descent, then um, yeah, just um, hold us hold us up in you know in uh, in prayer and uh, celebration. So um for tickets and information register at Afro Urban Society, Afro dot com. And uh yeah, it should be really fun. Alrighty. And uh and Uzo's uh website is the Uzo, um T H E U Z O dot com. Alrighty, so that should be good. And then the uh, African American Steering Committee Alameda County Health and Wellness is um having a seminar tomorrow online for looking at uh black transitional age youth. And it's called Navigating COVID, Black Lives Matter, Healing and Adulthood, Saving Today, Building Tomorrow. And it's a free webinar and it is the 21st from 1 into 3 is the same time as the fundraiser, the Bayview fundraiser, So you're going to have to make some critical decisions. Um, I've heard of people doing more than one webinar at a time. I don't know how you do that. I mean, of course, you could have more than one laptop, but I don't know how you could split yourself like that. But anyway, uh, featured are uh, Mia Turner is the moderator, and the presenters are Ab and Sienna Terry and uh, Tyson Amir. And so, um, so it should be really good, um, you know, looking at young people, um, ages. I think Tay is, uh, hmm, I don't know, 16 or so to about 20, 23-ish. Um, Tay, the young folks, before, I mean, I think they're under 25. And, um, yeah, so this particular um, webinar is looking at the threat to the physical and mental well-being of African-American and Black transitional age youth um, is extremely high. And uh, COVID-19 inequities and disparities in most institutional systems, acts of police brutality and killings of black people nationwide have increased the stress, despair, and sense of helplessness, hopelessness, and social isolation and suicidal uh, ideation that young black people experience. These factors put the mental health and wellness of African-American or black youth at risk and often lead to increased suicide rates among black youth. Supporting African-American or black Tay in navigating the perilous conditions that they face in the society is a responsibility of the black community, certainly. And again, this uh, this webinar is free. So um, if you're interested, i um, looking to see where is our website um Af- Alameda County Behavior Health is where you can find more information about the African-American Steering Committee for Health and Wellness and um, and, and find information out about, about this webinar so that you can register and attend. Again, it's online. All righty, so we're going to close with um, the Ethnic Heritage Ensemble. Black is back. See you on Wednesday. Another edition of Wanda's Picks, Peace and Blessings.